Week one of the college football season is in the books, and what a week it was. Wild Dogs and Hogs is back for another big week right here on the North Carolina Sports Network. I'm Mike Waddell along with Coach Jimmy Collins. And Coach, the Big Four really did look big in week one. What a, a weekend for Wake Forest, NC State, North Carolina, and Duke on Monday night with the overhand right to Clemson. Awesome, outstanding performances by all four teams. And uh, the level of competition was better for some than for others, but uh, just really, really good performances overall by all four of our, our, our local teams. Now, our old North State tailgate, David Glenn and myself, were down in Charlotte for Saturday night's matchup between the Gamecocks and the Tar Heels. Drake May going for 269 yards and two scores as the Tar Heels upstart defense, Jimmy, had nine sacks as the then number 21 Tar Heels defeated South Carolina 31 to 17. And if you remember when we did the uh, when we did the show in North in Cary a few weeks ago, one of my main things with the upcoming season was that I thought the Carolina defense would be much improved over where it was a year ago with Gene Chizik and the staff and all that. And they went out and proved it against an SEC team with uh, with nine sacks and, and just uh, constant pressure throughout the game and just really, really a quality performance by the Tar Heels. The second most sacks in Carolina history since the school began tracking that stat back in 2000. British Brooks, after a long uh, delay in his football career, comes back, goes for over the century mark with 103 yards, and Omari and Hampton added two short TD runs for the Tar Heels. But that defense, again, very stout for Carolina. And when you look at the pros and cons for the light blue in this game, the Gamecocks are now off Carolina's back. Drake May, he's pretty good. The tight ends and running backs are deep and dependable. We knew the offensive line would be better, but they didn't give up a sack. The defensive line, the linebackers, they look sharp, and Ryan Coe can make kicks. A lot of pros right there for the Tar Heels. Oh, no doubt. I think the most interesting thing from the, uh, from the offensive side of the ball for North Carolina was that they did a nice job of using the running backs, using the tight ends, as you said, not nearly as many vertical throws as with the Phil Longo offense. They did a nice job of, of doing what uh, Drake can do best, and he can throw, make the vertical throw. We all know that. But they, 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 they took him out of the run game. If you go back and you look at the stats, uh, Drake only carried the ball four times. One of them was a critical 16-yard run early in the game. But they kept him out of the run game, kept him on his feet, kept him from getting knocked down during the game, and they and they made he made good quick throws to 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 the tight ends and to the backs. But the key thing is their two best receivers did not even play in the game. So it's very very encouraging with what the the Tar Heels did against the Gamecocks. It looked like South Carolina just could not get any type of rhythm going. How much of that? is really credited back to that linebacking core, the Wild Dogs for North Carolina. They were pretty stout. Very stout. I, I know Sed Gray was the leading tackler in the game, had a sack and a half in the game. So they did an outstanding job. But, but once again, it goes back to our discussions that we've had in the past. You have to be able to run the football to win in college football, pro football. I don't care where you are. I have to have some quality of a running game. 
South Carolina had none. They uh, South Carolina ended up with 400. Uh, I, I don't remember the exact number of yards they had in the game, but they threw for 300 plus in the game. But they were minus one in rushing. They could not run the football. Now I know in, in college football that sacks enter into that. But still, quality running game, South Carolina had none. And you have to credit the, the North Carolina defense and those wild dogs at linebacker. Power Eccles and Sed Gray, uh, just outstanding. Out of the sacks for North Carolina, again, nine sacks. How many of those, Coach, were coverage sacks? as opposed to just getting overwhelming pressure up front against that SEC offensive line from South Carolina? Well, I, I think South Carolina, if I, if I remember correctly, they, they, had a, they, they, they lost their starting right tackle the first play of the game. Uh, so they were a little bit off balance, but I'm not taking anything away from the Carolina pass rush at all. Uh, you know, there's really, really good experience up, uh, up front for the Tar Heels. Cameron Rucker was outstanding in the game. Um, five tackles for losses, I think a sack and a half. Uh, I mean, he was just all over the field, and he plays with a tremendous motor. And you're talking about a good person now and one you're excited and happy for to see him to play at a very, very high quality. That's a, that's a, that's a good man there. And uh, they got great play all across their front seven. It was certainly an amazing night for North Carolina. Again, getting some of that respect back that perhaps they lost in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl a few years ago. Perhaps they lost with the four consecutive losses at the end of last season. Yep. You were a part of that staff last year. Was there a sense, Jimmy, that there was a loss of respect as that tail end of the 2022 campaign wore on? Well, there, there's no doubt. We, we, we lost some games at the end of the year that – that obviously we felt like we were in a position to to win. The Georgia Tech loss was uh, was just absolutely a critical critical loss as we moved down the stretch, and, and then the and then the North Carolina State loss as we as we went through there. We were playing against nothing, and I'm going to just be upfront. We were playing against backup quarterbacks and, and and quarterbacks that we should have played well against. We did not play well. We allowed them to make plays. But at the same time, as you remember in that stretch, the North Carolina offense went to sleep a little bit during that stretch also. Uh, so, so we didn't help each other at all during that period. This is a very, very good North Carolina football team. It's a very uh, – they've got high-quality personnel. They will be well coached. I, I like the direction that they're heading right now. It is exciting to see North Carolina in the win column to start the season in a premier game, something that had eluded the Tar Heels program for a number of years. Now, we talked about the pros. Let's talk about some of the things that need to be worked upon because one thing, Coach, that you know with your 40 years of coaching experience is that one of the biggest periods of improvement in a college football team happens between week one and week two. Now, when I look at North Carolina and, and I went back and I watched the condensed game again today, the one thing that stuck at me, and, and maybe it was just, uh, it was hot, it was first game of the year, whatever, but North Carolina didn't seem to have a lot of breakaway speed. They have dependable players. British Brooks is not going to put the ball on the carpet, okay? He's not no. going to drop it. The tight ends are going to be, for the most part, really strong receivers. But there wasn't breakaway speed 
from North Carolina offensively. Is that something that, as you alluded to earlier, that will come when some of the guys who didn't play in week one come back at some point, hopefully, during the 2023 season? I, I think there's absolutely no doubt about that. They, the, the Tar Heels do need, as we move through the, through the season, they do need those two receivers. And, and with the situation that, that Tez Walker has with the NCAA right now is absolutely ridiculous. And for the NCAA not to approve him and to give him the opportunity to play at the University of North Carolina is absolutely asinine. And and we we knew a year ago, watching the watching Georgia Tech play, that the quality that that the slot receiver has is just is just unbelievable. They need him to play the game. Now I don't want to take anything away from the rest of those guys, but they don't have they don't they they those are their two best receivers, and they will be helped by the ones you know that 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 continue to play for the Tar Heels right now. You mentioned, Coach, that South Carolina was able to throw the ball for a lot of yards, and it does seem that North Carolina's pass defense is still susceptible to giving up those big plays. That I can't tell you how many times with the fans that I was sitting with in the second half, when it got to be third and long or second and long, everybody just holds their breath. They grit their teeth. They clench their fists, and they say, come on, make something happen. How, how tough is that to, to coach – the guys into having confidence right now because it did like uh, on a few occasions seem like they were just didn't have that confidence. Well, confidence is a very important thing, and and they, and they the, the the hills were playing with two new corners. They have they have experience in safety. They had an inexperienced nickel. Uh, playing what they call the star position. So there's not a whole lot of ACC experience in the back end right now. That's why the pass rush was absolutely so critical. Uh, I think when you when you have to throw it, as South Carolina did, to try to win the game because they absolutely couldn't run it, then you, you run into a situation where you're going to give up some yards. But the thing is, now we talk about big plays. Uh, the Hills only gave up 14 points now, so we didn't give up the deep ball and, 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 the, and the ball that hurts you on the quick hit. So, so they kept the ball in front of them, three, I think it was 333 yards uh, that, the, that the, the Gamecocks threw for, but most of those were in front of you and, and, and gave you a chance to get the ball on the ground and continue to create third down situations and sack situations. Another con for North Carolina, not too often we're going to say something about Drake Mays being a con, but two interceptions. One, a really bad throw. Another yeah. one tipped up, and it was more or less a jump ball. Do you just shake that off and say, hey, it's it's the first game we won, move on? No, I don't, I, I don't have any concern about Drake May, none at all. Drake May will play at a very, very high level. He will make plays. He'll make plays every game. He will continue to make plays not only with his arm, but he will make plays with his feet also. They didn't need him to make plays with his feet against South Carolina. And I like, I like, and it'll be interesting to see as we go down the road how much he will be involved in the run game, whether it's quarterback draws or, or, or reads or, or whatever that they use in the quarterback run game. Uh, so I, I don't I don't anticipate uh, him being as involved as he was a year ago, but he's too good on his feet not to have him involved some way in the run game. 
the special teams awareness at the beginning of the half. Also, if you're looking for a, a blemish on the night, that would be one. That's just maybe a credit to Shane Beamer. I mean, all of the fans of South Carolina are resurrecting the signs for the Virginia Tech days when, uh, you know, his dad was the head coach, Frank Beamer. Beamer ball. They are always going to be very strong in special teams. And again, that's something that North Carolina has to be aware of. People are going to try to get something cheap on them, especially early in the season when they might be playing a lesser opponent. No doubt. And and, and you have to give South Carolina credit. Pete Limbo is the, is the uh, uh, special teams coordinator for the Gamecocks. And, and Pete goes all the way back to my alma mater, Elon, where he was a head coach. He's been the head coach at at Ball State and, he's, and, and at Lehigh. Pete is a really, really good football coach uh, and an excellent special teams coach. All you have to go back and, and to do is check his, pa his past record. So uh, them being high quality on special teams does not surprise me at all with the Beamer ball and with Pete Limbo being involved. Let's move on now to Monday night. It was a, an incredible atmosphere at Wallace Wade Stadium, Duke and Clemson, and the Blue Devils dominate the Tigers 28-7. to And, Jimmy, we haven't talked since Monday night. It was such a, such a great evening for Coach Mike Elgo in the program, even going back to the 1989 team and looking at your sweatshirt. Is this a 1989 vintage uh, ACC championship sweatshirt? It's it certainly is. It certainly is. I pulled it out of I pulled it out of mothballs today just to put it on to 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 give the the, the Blue Devils a heads up. So uh, I'm excited to have this. It was an exciting night for me to be back there because I had so many great years there. But I was back there with not only Coach Spurrier was there. Uh, Carl Franks was there. Rod Broadway was there. Bob Sanders was there. So five of us. Off that, off that coaching staff of the 1989 ACC champion Blue Devils. We were all present for that game, plus a lot, a lot of players were there. Uh, here's, a, here's a quick stat for you. The last time that the Blue Devils beat a top 10 team was September the 30th, 1989, and they beat the Clemson Tigers. My man so, Billy Ray, <laughs> Bill, Billy Ray, exactly. And I and I, I will say this: September thirtieth is one Coach Jim Collins's birthday, so it happened on my birthday. That is awesome. Let's talk about the pros of the Blue Devils. Obviously, the win in front of a big home crowd. I guess they're calling them the Wade Wackos now. That's, <laughs> that's exciting. Defense shutting out the Tigers in the third and fourth quarter. Riley Leonard, he is fast as a hiccup. Nice yeah. tackling by the Blue Devil defensive backs. And their special teams made a difference. Todd Polino, he has a foot on him. That young man's yeah. going to win some games for the Blue Devils this year. Well, I tell you, just I thought it was overall uh, a very a, an excellent, an excellent game plan for the Blue Devils in both offense, defense, and special teams. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. Now, the Clemson Tigers helped them a bunch uh, with their kicking game, uh, with uh, with turnovers, et cetera, et cetera. As you go through, the Tigers helped them a bunch. Uh, because the Tigers had 433 yards of offense in the game, but they only had they only had uh, the the one score. Uh, so it's uh, it's 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 interesting now. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. But but what a great crowd! What a great effort! And I thought the Blue Devils were in 
great, great condition. I thought they could have played another three or four quarters because I, I thought their team was very well prepared from a conditioning standpoint on a very hot night. We're going to come back in our final segment here on Wild Dogs and Hogs on the North Carolina Sports Network and talk more about that Duke-Clemson game and especially what's going on in Death Valley right now. But you look ahead at Duke's schedule. They're 1-0. They have Lafayette coming up on Saturday night, Northwestern on the 16th. On the 23rd, it's UConn that's already lost to NC State, which we're about to talk about. And then on Coach Jim Collins' day on September 30th, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish will be in Durham for another big home game. So I tell you one thing, uh, Duke has a, a a great early season schedule. They could be rising up those poles pretty quick. No doubt. I think they have an opportunity. And, and as we move further into the NC State-UConn game, we have to remember that the guy coaching the, the UConn Huskies is a pretty darn good football coach. So don't sell their performance against NC State short. That's exactly right. That's head coach Jim Collins. He's the head coach of Wild Dogs and Hogs. I'm Mike Waddell. We're with you here tonight on the North Carolina Sports Network. And when we come back, we're going to talk to one of the true legends of North Carolina football from the high school ranks to the college ranks and on to being a great coach. We're talking, of course, about the big man from West Stanley High School. We're talking about Rod Broadway. He'll be with us next right here on Wild Dogs and Hogs. What does it mean when people say America is a land of opportunity? It means the power to discover. To redefine yourself. To improve yourself. To challenge yourself. To realize there's more in you than you ever knew that you could do. It means giving people an open field to explore what they do best. With the best tools. The best training. The best technology in the world. We bring out the best in the people who serve. So you can be all you can be. Welcome back to Wild Dogs and Hogs here on the North Carolina Sports Network. I'm Mike Waddell. That's Jimmy Collins. And over here on the far side is a living legend when it comes to North Carolina football. As a player, as a coach, he has done it all out of Oakboro, West Stanley. It is the man, the myth, the legend, Rod Broadway. Coach, All-American, thank you for coming on Wild Dogs and Hogs tonight. You're our first ever guest. Uh, well, thank you for having me. How do you get that name, Wild Dogs and Hogs? Well, well, Jimmy is a linebacker guy, and he likes the Wild Dogs. And I was a, a lineman once upon a uh, hundred pounds ago, and I, I like the Hogs. And we both have the opinion, and it'd be interesting to see here. You're you're a defensive mastermind, but you were known for your offenses as a coach. If you don't have the guys up front and the guys who can hit. You're not going to win too many games. Would you subscribe to that theory in, in general? I, I do. And actually, I think every football team that I've had, I started building from the front back. And I think one of the reasons I did that is um, one year at Duke, I think we signed 18 or 19 linemen. And four or five years later is when we won the first ACC championship in 50 years. And because we had those linemen and we developed those linemen, those guys – 
uh, in four or five years, won a championship for us. And that's how I started all my football teams, starting building from up front. And I felt like once I got me 20 offensive linemen and 15 defensive linemen, we could roll and we can build from there. What are your best memories as a player? Before we went on the air, I told you my best memory of watching Rod Broadway play. Oh, number 70, and then your your buddy on the defensive front at North Carolina, number 71, D. Hardison. Those were the teams that got me excited about playing football. And, and you were a part of a, a really fun era uh, there with the Tar Heels with some pretty special characters on the team. You talk about the relationship amongst the guys uh, back in the day and back in the 70s. You guys had some uh, pretty colorful uh, folks on that sideline. And we did. And where are you going with this? And who are you talking about? <laughs> it was wide open. <laughs> yeah, oh, Lord, okay. Uh, we had a lot of characters on that football team, you know. But uh, we had an excellent football team. We had some outstanding players. You're exactly right. You started with Charles Waddell. You started with Matt Kupak, Mike Vort. But we had just many uh, good people, you know. And, you know, it was a beautiful experience, actually. Now, you leave out of North Carolina and you get into coaching in 1979 down at Greenville, starting to collect your North Carolina schools where you would eventually coach. What was it like to get into coaching and to to, to flip from being the player to being the instructor? You know, that's a, that's truly a good question because I saw some guys this week, uh, Monday night, actually, we went back uh, for a little reunion. And I saw some guys that I was coaching when I was young, and I was only four or five years older than those guys. And I was looking at those guys, and I'm thinking, these guys are old men. <laughs> and you know, I don't, I don't, good thing they they you, doesn't it, B-Way? Hey, <laughs> good thing I didn't have a mirror because <laughs> those boys told me I went coach. That was six, 50 years ago. Those, but anyway, um, East Carolina was a beautiful experience, too. It really was. You know, getting started down there with Coach Emery, I learned a lot of football and a lot about recruiting from Coach Emery. Actually, my first my first recruit ever was Tootie Robbins. Uh, my first responsibility when I got the uni from East Carolina University was go and get Tootie Robbins back in school. Tootie Robbins was living in Bertie, North Carolina, in a little shack in a field, in a cornfield that I couldn't find. <laughs> so I had to stop a bus driver and ask him eventually, how do you get to Tootie's house and down this road, down this field? When he got to load him up, took him back to East Carolina, the rest of his history, ended up playing 12 years. That was the first guy signed in football. My first responsibility was Tootie Robbins. The first of many great players under your tutelage were visiting with Rod Broadway, playing and coaching North Carolina football legend here on Wild Dogs and Hogs on the North Carolina Sports Network. And coach, right after East Carolina, you were there from 1979 to 1980, just two seasons with the purple and gold. You Then you make your way over to Durham. So I got to ask you, you were at Durham from 1981 to 1994. You coached under a lot of different coaches. But what was it like to walk into that locker room and wear the darker shade of blue after wearing the lighter shade of blue as a Tar Heel player. Hey, you know, all that stuff is blocked away from you at that time. You just happen to have a job and just want to coach and you want to contribute and you want to teach, you know. And But that competitive fire does bubble up in you a little bit because you did go to school across the street. You want to beat them. So it is motivation, but you try to keep everything in perspective. It's a job. 
it's a job and but you know eventually that job turned into feelings and you start to like the place you start to like the people you start to understand that it is a beautiful place too and there can be a lot of beautiful places with different thoughts and way they do things yeah i i refer to it as this rod i i fall in love with the people that pay me you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was something else now rod you mentioned the fact that you and jimmy both were back on monday night at wallace wade stadium to honor the 1989 acc championship team from duke university does it surprise you that that team, the 1989 Blue Devils under the head ball coach Steve Spurrier, was the last team amongst North Carolina, NC State, and Duke to win an ACC championship. It's hard to believe that that is so. That's truly amazing. Uh, that's a thousand years ago. And um, hopefully one of them win one soon. But uh, Lee, I think, yeah, that's a long time. It's, it's a long time ago, but, uh, you know, Rod, you and I were almost teammates just a few years ago. Jimmy and I were teammates with the Orlando Apollos. I was the team president. Jimmy was on the staff with Coach Spurrier. And when they told me that Rod Broadway was coming, I, I literally started to geek out a little bit. I was running around the office. I was so excited. But then you, you had to have some back surgery and, and you, you, you didn't end up uh, coming down to be a part of that. But when you look back over your career, when I look yeah. at your resume, this is a guy who has maximized every opportunity he's ever taken to the to the limit. I mean, you you've done a magnificent job. Well, I appreciate it, but you know how you do a magnificent job by getting magnificent people to play for you, and that's what it's all about. You know, uh, it's all about those players, man. I had some good players, and I had some good coaches too. So you know, I get a lot of the credit. But when you win. When you win, it, it truly does take a team, and it takes a team effort from the head coach all the way down to the guys cleaning the locker room, and everybody has a role, and it's your job as head coach to identify those roles and make sure that they that the person in those roles identify their roles and where they play in as far as this team is concerned. But when you win championships, everybody, a lot of people is doing a good job. When you look at your career, you've worked for some pretty amazing people. Steve Spurrier, you you sat in the same chair as one of the greatest coaches of all time and Eddie Robinson. Uh, who are the coaches that have made the biggest impact on you as a coach and that you tried to take something from and then spin it into something that was even better with the Rod Broadway brand on it? You know what? You know, when you're coaching – you just you're just in the moment, you know. You're going places like Jim would tell you. We used to go down to Tampa Bay and visit with Tampa Bay. We used to go to Alabama, visit with those boys. We, we were everywhere trying to learn. And you take what you can from anybody. And and I tell people all the time, you know, when I first started coaching, I coached the way that I was coached until I figured out a better way to communicate and get my point across to players. And I fit fit, fit found out who I was as a coach. You know, then I started evolving and teaching in my way and it's just the way that I was taught. And that's what I did for so many years. I coached the way that I got coached until I figured out a different way of doing it. And I had taken pieces from a lot of different people to mold all that together to get to where I could coach my style. And it was a piece of, you know, uh, those visits to Alabama, those visits to Indiana, those visits to South Florida, down to Tampa Bay, all those people. And, and of course, you know, we coached with some outstanding coaches. Jim Collins was a heck of a football coach. Bob Sanders was here. We had some outstanding football coaches, you know. So even in that staff, we had people that you could learn a lot from. So 
it was a combination of a lot of people, man. It's not just one person. Some people are lucky to be a part of a national championship once, and those are the one percent uh, of people who have a chance to be involved in this great game. You've been a part of five national championships, and you've been the head coach of three national championship teams at the HBCU level. That's an amazing record. What were the common denominators in those national championships? Good players. <laughs> you know, good players. And I say this, that, you know, you, you've got to be good, but you also got to be lucky, you know, as far as injuries concerned. You've got to be able to stay healthy because a lot of times if you get an injury at the wrong time, one of my best teams, man, was we didn't we were conference championship. We didn't win a national championship because we lost our quarterback two games before the end of the season. And it really hurt. So it's, it's time a lot of times to stay healthy. If you can stay healthy, you got a chance. But you got to be good also. And you also have to have a little look in there. So it's a lot of things that goes in the way in the championship. But the first one I'm gonna go with is talent. Go get you some players. I, I was I was a lot better coach when I when I had Johnny Rutledge and uh, and Mike Peterson and Javon Curse. You know, don't forget about Junkman now, Jim. <laughs> don't get don't get Junkman. No, no, no. Mike Junkin, Mike Junkin could Junkin, go. Yeah. Could, yeah, he could go right to the top. There's no doubt. I mean, I've had some really good ones, but we're all good coaches with really good players. Jimmy, give me your best Rod Broadway story. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and now you, have to you know what? We've been together a long time, so he probably has a lot of them. We well, we were, but I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you an interesting story. Is uh, is we 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 left Duke in 1990, and Rod Rod was still coaching at Duke at that time, and we had been at, we had been at Florida uh, for 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 five years. At five years that you came in '94, right, Rod? '94, '95. '94, yes. '94, yes. and uh, we we we'd been at, at Florida for a while, but uh, we had we had lost a coach. Uh, we needed a D line coach, and uh, and Coach Furrier was started looking around. And ironically, Rod had just left Duke and taken a job. How many days before we called you, Rod? Three days. Right. You'd been you'd been there three days at the University Virginia. of Virginia. Yeah. And and, uh, and we we all sat down. Bob Sanders, myself, Coach Spurrier. We all said, "Well, hey, we need to just call B Way. We we need to get B Way back to us, back with us because he fits with us. We know him. We're comfortable. He's a good foot. He's a good coach. He handles people well." So, so I called Rod up. I said, Rod, you interested in coming to the University of Florida? Now give your answer. What was your answer, Rod, right away? I probably, I'm, I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what you said. I'm on my way. I'll be there as quick as I can. So that, that, that's a great story that got our, got our team back together. Uh, and, you, and you know, Mike, we did something the other night between Bob Sanders and 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 Rod and myself and Sonny Falcone, who was a longtime strength coach at Duke, we did something. We made a phone call the other night to a gentleman by the name of Richard Bell, and and Richard Bell was uh, at South Carolina at Arkansas, played at Arkansas for Frank Broles, coached with Bobby Dodd at Georgia Tech. Now you're talking history now, and we're talking about guys that have mentored us and have guided us in our careers. And we all we called Richard the other night. It was his 86th birthday, 
and, and we had just such a wonderful conversation with him. And I think Rod will agree with this. He was a mentor to all of us as we spent those years together at Duke University. Just a wonderful, wonderful guy. So people that have influences on your life, you, you just, you're so fortunate to be with those people. Rod has influenced my life, uh, you know, as well as Bob and Coach Spurrier and all those people. So, you know, we've been very, very fortunate in the careers that we've had. Hey, Jim, don't forget an old, how about Red? Don't forget Red. Half a big of influence was Red in our lives. Well, you know what? And, and, and Rod is talking about Red Wilson, who was my college coach and, and hired Rod to come to Duke University from, uh, from East Carolina. Uh, coach Wilson, Coach Wilson's the North Carolina Hall of Famer. I mean, just a fabulous, fabulous man. Uh, you know, Mickey Brown in there that he brought with him from Elon. Just, just so many quality people that we've been around. Coach Red, Coach Red is, was, passed away at age 92, but to the day, to that day, Coach Red remembered everybody's name. He could, Everybody. he could meet you one time. He could meet you one time and still know your name, Michael Waddell. See how I remembered yours? That, you know, it's crazy you guys have mentioned that because, you know, I worked for Coach Dean Smith from 91 to 94. I was going to go there. Had a chance to work with Coach Spurrier with the Orlando Apollos. And and now you're talking about Red Wilson being the same way. It's almost like every great, like, supernatural coach has that uncanny mental acuity to be able to just recall so many specifics. And, and, and that's a skill. I mean, Coach Broadway, when you're recruiting, Jimmy, when you're recruiting, when you remember the names of the moms and the dads and the high school coaches and the other people that are involved in that kid's life, Rod, I think that goes back to what you're talking about. That's the relationship part of it, that the great ones always seem to prioritize. And I think that's, that's an important thing. And, it, and that's no disrespect to the coaches of a different uh, bygone era. But the people who are doing it today, and we'll talk about you know, some current day coaches here in a second, they all have that ability to really connect. And I, and I think that's that's so important. Let me tell you a story about Coach Smith, and I'll tell you one about Coach uh, Red Wilson, too. I was coaching at Duke at the time, and I, my son was probably three, four years old. I don't remember exactly, but I took him down in the locker room to meet Coach Smith. And I uh, introduced him to the coaches as my son, Kenneth, and all this. You know, I actually worked Coach Smith basketball camp for a number of years when I was in college. But anyway, I took him down and introduced Kenneth to him. And lo and behold, a couple of years later, they came back to Duke. I took him down in the locker room. Hey, Kenneth, how you doing? Nice seeing you, so forth and so on. You know, and Red Wilson, we would bring in, we would be there. We would bring in 25 recruits. 50 pounds. And he'll go around the room telling you everybody, mama, daddy, sister, brother, where they're from, everybody. Everybody. And, and it is amazing what Rod says. And that's that's exactly right about Coach Wilson. Coach Spurrier now, we could call Coach Spurrier up at this minute and ask him the halftime from at Georgia Tech when he was head when he was assistant coach out exactly. there. Exactly. He remembers every score, every how many yards, how many who is thrown for what. I mean he's he's amazing. It's like a it's like a football encyclopedia. Rod, I'm I'm not going to tell this whole story, but you'll remember this. You'll remember uh, remember after when we played Georgia at Georgia 
I do. When we put and 50 you, on them. You, 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 oh, put 52 on them. You're exactly right. First team to ever score 50 on the dogs in Sanford Stadium. But you remember the Sunday morning sitting in my office when Steve walked in after the two-man conversation on the field? I don't. I don't. Well, I, I, then I'll tell a little bit of the story. Rod and I, we, the one thing about Coach Spurrier, you, you, you had to come in early and grade the video because he remembered every single play of the game, everyone. Am I right? And Man. he would walk in and he'd say, hey, 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 Rod, how about that third and two on the minus 20 in the second quarter? And you're thinking third and two on the minus 20 in the second quarter. I, I don't have any idea what happened, but he knew. He knew. Well, we we were way ahead in the game, and Lawson Holland, God rest him, had just had, had informed Coach that nobody had scored 50 on the dogs in Sanford Stadium. Long story short. We got we 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 got forty five at this point in time. Georgia has the ball. It's third down and long. We play two man coverage, which is man underneath and two deep. And and Heinz Ward, who was playing quarterback for the Dogs at that time, scrambles out for a first down. Okay, coach got mad at Rod because we didn't spy the quarterback. You remember now? You remember this? Yeah. He got mad at Rod because and they and not as mad as he did when he was playing Damon Craig. Yeah, <laughs> but, but 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 anyway, coach comes into the office the next morning. Rod's in my office, and we're talking. And and we're sitting there, and 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 Steve says, "Hey Rod, I don't mind you arguing with me, but just make sure you're right." Jimmy yells back at me all the time. You remember that now? I do. I, <laughs> I remember exactly. But here's, but let me tell you. But here's that, that reminded me, Jim. I remember the conversation because this we had actually we had changed the game plan we because did. we had we had changed the game plan. I, initially, we was going to let that guy throw. Exactly. You know? We were yeah. gonna let the guy let him throw, but we was gonna box him in. And then we were up 45 to whatever, and yeah. now we're rushing a quarterback, and it's 45 to two or whatever. <laughs> and he pulls one down the scrambles. And he comes over and uh uh wanna know why we, coach, we changed the game plan. We decided, you know, we're gonna go after the quarterback now instead of just you know keeping mirroring him and keeping in front of us. We're gonna put our heads back. We want him running the ball, let him run it. You know, and but that was the conversation. I remember that one. He wanted that. He wanted the ball back. Coach always wanted the ball back. He, I've, uh, you know, oh, it just. Damn, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better be right. Yeah, but yeah, be right. You got to be right now. <laughs> it's fun watching you guys talk. We're we're visiting today with Rod Broadway, North Carolina football legend, head coach Jim Collins here of White Dogs and Hogs, and myself, Mike Waddell, and. Tonight, it will be the Aggie Eagle Classic in Greensboro, North Carolina A&T and North Carolina Central. The Eagles coming off an HBCU National Championship in 2022. And, and Rod, you have the unique distinction of having been the head coach of both North Carolina A&T and North Carolina Central with a little grambling in the middle of that. From 2003 to 2017, you were as strong a coach in the history of HBCU football as there has ever been. What does HBCU football mean to the state of North Carolina with nine HBCUs now? 
that would seem to be an incredible opportunity for a lot of people to get the, the higher education and to continue their football career. You're exactly right. And um, I appreciate what they stand for and what they do. You know, all kids in North Carolina can't go to Duke. All kids in North Carolina can't go to the University of North Carolina. But there's a place for most of the kids that want to advance and try to improve their education and improve their situations. And uh, it's, it's really a good situation that what they do or what we do is that it's not a machine like a lot of the uh, power white universities. Uh, I think the coaches generally care a lot about the direction of the a player athlete not saying that we didn't when i was in florida because we did but it's on a different level there's a different feel to it you know and i don't know if i have the words but sometimes that's a feeling that you have you know when you directing and guiding and you have these people and it's just uh, it becomes a journey where you just want to improve everybody's life and everybody's lifestyle and it's not about winning at, at to a certain point you know even though you has to you got to win in 2003 you take over at north carolina central and this is a neat transition from what you just talked about because everybody loves you when you're winning but your first season as a head coach you go four and seven but then you go over the next three years in North Carolina Central this is a heck of a turning around 33 and 11 with back-to-back -back national championships in 2005 and 2006 were you a better coach your fourth year or your first year, and what did you learn to make you a different coach over that four-year period? Well, did I need to go get some more players? I keep, telling, I keep trying to tell you, <laughs> you know, the difference between winning five and winning ten is players. The Jimmy's and the Joes, right? Actually, actually, it was a building as we was going along and trying to build our culture and what we're trying to do and establish, you know, identity for ourselves. And, you know, we just happen to have find some really good players. And, you know, I didn't have a fear of trying out, trying to go find the best players that we could find. And I, when I tell you we were loaded, man, we had some players. We had some players. Uh, I had four or five transfers from Carolina. I had some from Duke. I had some from East Carolina. I had some from Florida. We had a Division One football team, man. We were killing people. Rod, Rod, was, Rod was into the transfer portal before it was ever popular. Hey, they had what they call a Division Two. They had a two-year uh, non-participation rule. Yeah. You, we could go get guys that been to Alabama that hadn't played in two years. Guess what I did? I went and got guys that hadn't played in two years. You know, that's yeah. what they allowed you. So that's how we started. But, uh, you know, finding out what worked for us and finding some players. But the difference between four and winning four and winning ten is players. We got more players, and we built a culture, and we built a tradition, and we built uh, the guys understood what we were trying to do and how we were trying to do it. There was no gray area with us. It was black or white, and we identified that. We stayed away from the gray, and everybody knew their role. So you leave North Carolina Central following 2006, and you go to a place that had a lot of tradition and still does, uh, Grambling State University, and – you win another national championship there. What was it like to to sit in, in the seat and coach on the sideline of the legendary Eddie Robinson? It was unbelievable, actually. You know that was at the mecca of black college football. You know that was the that was the gold standard of what everybody wanted. The, they run their program like to be there and to have coach at that place that that guy coached because he was unbelievable. 
what they did and how they did in the time that they did it was remarkable especially when you look at their marketing how they marketed the school how they promoted the school at that time and uh, all the hall of fame players that they produced oh. it's remarkable what they did and how they marketed it with the sid office and coach uh, robinson and those guys back then and so gremlin was a unique opportunity and um had a lot of good players there too you know, and we're fortunate there. We uh, was able to win eight or nine the first year there. So we got out of the box running because they had good players. They had really good players. They just didn't have things lined up the right way. So then you go from Grambling and you come back home to close out your coaching career at North Carolina A&T from 2011 to 2017, including two national championships and a perfect 2017 season. Did it mean something a little bit extra to be able to come back and do it at home to close out your coaching career? Uh, it feels good to win wherever you are, man. You know, and I don't know if there's a better feeling in the world, but yeah, to take a program that was as far down as A&T program had been when we took over, and and Jim understand this a little bit. When we got the A&T, the first two years we didn't even have spring practice. That first two years, I think we signed seven guys the first two years we were there. We were allowed, uh, at that time, we were allowed 63 scholarships. We had 29 people in scholarship. So we were playing with both hands tied behind our back for two years. And uh, and if you think I'm lying, ask Commissioner Thomas of the MEAC. We went in there. We went five and six that first year with 29 players. And I told him then, if they're going to get me, they better get me now because I'm getting ready to come through here. We're getting ready. And we're getting ready. Hey, we're getting ready to get. We're getting ready to get busy. I, I, and I'm going to add this in. You know, when when Rod took over that job, it was in terrible, terrible shape. And and uh, and, and they, I, Rod, had they graduated anybody through the years there with? Uh, no, I mean, actually, Jim, actually, they were getting ready to shut it down. I had to yep. go to Indianapolis with a plan of improvement because of APR. That's why we didn't have scholarships, and that's why we didn't have spring breaks because of APR, because yeah. guys wasn't finished in school. And uh, so I had to get a plan of improvement on how I was going to improve the academics, and I had to take it to Indianapolis, present to the NCAA, how I was going to get those guys through school with a degree. And uh, lo and behold, they said okay, and uh, we ended up getting the program back on track. And uh, you're talking about you're talking about one of the great. Not good, but one of the great coaching jobs uh, to recover. See, I'm a Greensboro native. I I know I know the history of A and T football, and the history of A and T football prior to prior to when it went so far down was really really good, right, Rod? It yes. has it had excellent history, but it had hit the depths, and and for for the job that he did there is absolutely unbelievable. Unbelievable. I tell people all the time, it was it, we were so far down, I had to look up to see my feet. <laughs> and I say this, and I sincerely say this, and this is no joke. I really believe rebuilding that program took probably five years off my coaching career because that was a grind and that was a job. Because not only was the academic screwed up, everything was completely screwed up. You know, you go 10 years where you hadn't won a game, you – you know, you go 29, uh, you lose 29 in a row. 
I mean, it's bad. Not only the culture is bad, everything about it is bad. And when you look around, the infrastructure is bad. You know, you don't, I'm going to Indianapolis defending and trying to get a plan of improvement on how my guys are going to finish school or why I'm going to get my guys through school. And I look up over there at the academic council who've been there for 10 years. Tim, now what's wrong with that picture? I love Greensboro. I love that gate city. And that's where our old North State tailgate will be Saturday night for the Aggie Eagle Classic. Do you have any great memories of the Aggie Eagle Classic that you can share here and not offend one of the two sides that you coached for? Actually, the one memory that steps us that sticks out of my mind is one that we lost. One of my favorite plays is I stole that I used for 20 years is we call the flip. And it was fourth and goal on the one. We get ready one got a chance to win the ball game. And our backside guard didn't turn out, and he let the three technique penetrate and uh, tapped the quarterback before we could. He could reverse out and flip the ball to the running back, and he would have walked in the end zone. That's the one thing that sticks out, you know, losing that game that way. The other thing, I lost one when I was at North Carolina Central as head coach. I, I have we have the game won. We're getting ready. We're kneeling on the ball. The quarterback takes his snap and try to score us nil, but he don't step back. When he's kneeling, the guy pushes the center back. He fumbled the ball. They recover. We get a personal foul. They move the ball down the field 15 yards. They hit the 54-yarder and beat us. Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a game. Now, I, the one thing that I'm looking forward to when I go to the Aggie Eagle Classic is just to, to be out there for pregame, to take in the entire experience. And I have to ask you, though, as a former athletic administrator, and you've been uh, the head coach at both schools, you get really tied into the alumni when you're the head coach at North Carolina Central, and then you come back and you're on the other side of that. Did it feel kind of odd walking in and in blue and gold and, and not wearing the maroon? My wife tells this story all the time. I guess the first year we were playing uh, Central, when I was at A&T, she said, some lady in the stand told me, said, sit down, Broadway. You used to be one of us. Now you're one of them. Sit down. <laughs> Coach, when you see the success that Deion Sanders is having right now at Colorado, only one game in, but certainly changing the culture and the expectations in Boulder, and you look back to his experience in the SWAC at Jackson State, what was the, the, the lasting effect of Deion Sanders coaching at Jackson State? And, and how can that be a positive moving forward for other coaches to stand up and get their opportunity now uh, wherever they would like to see that opportunity come? Well, you know, Deion's a unique uh, unique experience within itself. I don't know if there's another person out there could do what he's doing you know, bring the type of attention to Jackson State that he brought along with, you know, Troy Aikman and Michael Irwin, all those people buying in and contributing and Strayhorn and everybody else around the country supplying stuff that you need and then going out to Colorado. You know, I don't know if anybody else can do that. You know, they tried it with Eddie George. They tried it with the uh, Reed, um, Ed Reed. A lot of people tried it but hadn't had the same success. But, you know, he's a unique person, I guess. Well, I'm excited to have the opportunity to speak with you here today. I mean, you and Jimmy in the same place. 
We could go for hours, but I want to thank you, Rod Broadway, the pride of West Stanley High School, North Carolina Tar Heel, five-time national championship coach and former head coach of the schools that are playing in this weekend's Aggie Eagle Classic, North Carolina Central and North Carolina A&T. Tell us what you're up to uh, these days before we let you go. I went in business with these two guys, okay? And I used to go to Dunkin' Donut every morning and get a cup of coffee. And there was always two guys there. And so I started a conversation with him. And I asked one of the guys, what do you do? He says, I do nothing. So I asked his buddy, I said, what do you do? He says, I help him. So I'm in business with those guys. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're enjoying the heck out of it, aren't you? Yes, that's what I'm doing. You know what, Mike? You know, the thing that I get my value from now is having an opportunity to see some of the guys like Jim and I just had on Monday night. No That's where your values come from. It's not the rings. Right. It's not the championships. It's the relationships. And, you know, going back and seeing some of those guys, man, it really pulls at your heartstrings sometimes to see how well some of them are doing and see the effect that you had on people is really touching in so many ways. When they put their arms around you, when they put their arms around you and tell you, Coach, I owe my life to you and thank you for what you did for me. It makes it makes the whole thing worthwhile. There's no doubt about it. And you know what? And I'm gonna say it this way: I had it all wrong I, as as a coach growing up. You know, there was three steps that my career went through. Number one, you just want to be able to provide for your family. The second step, you want to be able to climb the corporate level. You know, you want to be coordinator, head coach. And the third step and the most important step, you just want to make a difference. And you know what? I did it half as backwards. If I had taken the third step first, I probably could have climbed the level a little bit faster. It would have been about other people to start with instead of about me trying to satisfy my personal needs and trying to, instead okay. of trying to make other people around me better. You know, but once I got to that third step where it was about making a difference in other people's lives, that's when it got rewarding. And to hear what Jim just said, that's where your rewards come from in this game. Very well said. And I, and I, I agree 100%. And, and the other thing is the relationships that we have had with our, with our coaches under Coach Spurrier and the development of our relationships. I mean, we, we, we've got friends for life now. Friends for life. I, I mean, I I love Rod Broadway, and it's just, it, I mean, you, you just can't say it enough. We've had great experiences together. I mean, we've won together, we've lost together, we've laughed together, we've cried together. Uh, I mean, it's it's unbelievable, and I, I'm so proud. I'm proud of who Rod Broadway is, and I'm proud of who his what his hey, and I tell you what too, and I said this earlier, and I say this, and I just go to my grave saying, Jim Collins a heck of a football coach. And that's one thing about the Florida, those boys at Florida. We were fun and gun at Duke, and you know, but we played good defense. You know, we had uh, what we called offense in Florida, Jim. What was it called? Uh, you know, air raid. Yeah, whatever it was called, whatever. You know, we we were good offensively. But the people like Jim, Bob Sanders, and uh, Stoops, and we had some excellent football coaches, you know, but because we were so high-profile offensively, those boys didn't get the dues that they deserved. And Jim, and I'm telling you what now, and I'm sincere when I say this, I don't know if Coach Spurrier knew who his true, who his true lawyer dogs were, who went to work for him every day, who he could depend on. They're not knowing who had his back daily. Jim Carter's one of those dudes, man. I'm just telling you. 
Jim Cobb's one of those dudes. It's amazing listening to the two of you guys talk, Jim Collins and the living North Carolina football legend, coaching, playing, and, and influencing so many people's lives. Rod Broadway, thank you very much for coming on the North Carolina Sports Network. And just anytime you want to come back here, you don't have to do nothing. You can just come right back here to Wild Dogs and Hogs and join us anytime you want. Hey, Mike, that's what I do best is nothing, man. And my part is to get mad at it because I'm really mad at it. That's great. But anytime, man, you, all you got to do is call. Anything I can do, just let me know. Love you, B-Way. Same here, bro. It's Wild Dogs and Hogs here on the North Carolina Sports Network. Special thanks to Rod Broadway, our VIP guest tonight right here. And uh, Jim Collins, that is a, a, a true treasure of a human being. But you can tell the, the bond, the love, the respect that the two of you guys have after coaching together in multiple stops. Well, we've had we've had we've been through so many things together. And, uh, you know, you can you can trace back. We've we've both lost spouses in our relationship. We've uh, there's there, our children were raised together. I, I, I mean, it's. It, it goes so far back; it's un, it's unreal, and there is there is a true love and a true appreciation of each other there. He is certainly a, a treasure, as are you. So let's turn the page now and go from Rod Broadway and the North Carolina and Duke wins in Week One to looking at NC State and Wake Forest. They were the first two games of the weekend last Thursday night. Let's go up the stores, Connecticut to uh, actually East Hartford. East Hartford, where the stadium is, is about an hour away yeah. from where Stores is. So it's not near campus. And that's one of the real challenges, I think, that UConn football has. And they were a tough opponent for Dave Doran's Wolfpack in week one. A 24-14 win for the Wolfpack in the end. The Huskies jumped out on top early, 7 to nothing, but struggled to get anything really going offensively. In the game, the pros for the Wolfpack, they get the win in a really bad place to play. It's not a good football environment. Brennan Armstrong, he's a blue-collar quarterback. He's not Drake May. He's not Riley Leonard, but you know what? He's 1-0-2, so that, that works. And he goes for 155 through the air and 96 on the ground. So the guy can, guy can play. And Peyton Wilson, as we knew, is a really darn good wild dog. I mean, this guy is a uh, linebacker extreme, all-ACC performer, and he gets the pick in uh, week one. Wolfpack looked pretty, pretty decent. Well, he could, uh, Peyton Wilson could be a wild dog of the Serengeti and, and chase down lots of things. He can, he can, he can do those things and, 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 and don't sell the NC state offense short. Now uh, that, that guy running that program at, at, for the university of Connecticut Huskies now is a guy by the name, Jim Mora jr. Who is a pretty darn good football coach and know, and knows how to, knows how to play defense. He was a defensive coordinator and a head coach in the NFL for a long, long time. So uh, they, I don't know. Tell me, Mike, you probably know this because you're so good with stats. How many did did Connecticut win a year ago? Uh, Not too many. <laughs> uh, but they won more than they had previously right. to right. that. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, they were in a bowl game a year ago. 
Were they? Uh, I, I'm yeah. not sure. I did not brush up on my UConn Husky stats, so I will be yeah, sure. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying about the NC State people now. I think they were in a bowl game a year ago, and Duke has to Duke has to play the Huskies also. So Jim Mora is a good football coach, and I still think that the matchup coming in this weekend with, with Notre Dame will be an interesting matchup because I think the NC State defense is potentially outstanding. Well, the beautiful thing about the internet is we can look it up real quick. And so uh, UConn did go to a bowl game last year. They were 6-6 six and six through the regular season, and they lost to Marshall in what I think is one of the better bowl games, the Myrtle Beach Bowl, 28-14. to 14. And I'm not kidding about that. I, I think I would love to go – to Myrtle Beach and play in a bowl game. I think it's a fun place to be. <laughs> yeah, so, as long as you can bring your golf clubs. As long as you can bring your golf clubs and maybe hit peaches <laughs> on the corner down there and get that foot long with uh, chili and slaw. Let's look at the uh, the Wolfpack, though. Some things they need to work on. I watched that condensed game today as well. Not a lot of speed at least not in week one, and maybe you're just going to chalk that up to week one and not wanting to show a whole lot. Uh, UConn is is not one of the better teams that NC State will play this year, certainly not up to the caliber that they're going to face uh, this week at Carter-Finley Stadium. And scoreless in the fourth quarter, though, uh, four corners football from Dave Doran. It seems like one of the criticisms of the Wolfpack of late is when they get the lead, they go into kind of the four corners of football. They go into stall ball. Is that a fair criticism? I hear that a lot from Wolfpack folks on the message boards. Well, you know, Mike, I think I think what Dave Doran does and, and with his staff, I think he's playing to his strength right now. And his strength of his football team is his defense. Uh, they, they have great speed on their defense. They have experience defensively. So it, when, you, when you get a lead and you have the ability – to control the football and play defense and keep your defense off the field a little bit, then you then you got you have to play to your strength, and I think that's what he did. Notre Dame coming into Carter Finley this weekend. What are your thoughts on that one? They look pretty good against uh, Navy over in Ireland. Well, obviously Sam Hartman, who uh, we all know very well in this in this area, former Wake Forest quarterback that. Uh, that 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 moved on to play his fifth year, sixth year at uh, at Notre Dame. I don't remember if it's fifth or sixth. Uh, it doesn't matter at this point in time. But he's excellent, excellent, and uh, uh, he will he will do a great job of running the Notre Dame offense. It'll be a real challenge uh, for the for the Wolfpack. But I, I I think the I think the Wolfpack will play well, and it'll be a very competitive game. You mentioned Sam Hartman, the former Wake Forest quarterback, the person who took over for him, and old gold and black is Mitch Griffiths, and he came out strong. Three touchdowns to open his tenure as the Demon Deacons' full-time starting quarterback and helped the Deeks to beat your alma mater, Elon, 37-17 last Thursday. The fourth-year passer is taking over after the transfer of Hartman to Notre Dame. He had started last year's opener against VMI in relief, or played in last year's uh uh, opener against VMI and then was back in the starting lineup again. He threw for 329 yards. And when I looked at this game, I, I didn't watch it with the same detail that I did the others, but Wake Forest just does Wake Forest things. And when you look at their schedule, they've got Vandy this week, Old Dominion, then Georgia Tech, and then on October 7th, they have Clemson 
in Death Valley. Now, at that point, what's Clemson going to be like? We'll talk about that in a second. But the Demon Deacons could literally be undefeated going into that matchup against nationally ranked Clemson. It will be interesting to see the development of the Wake Forest offense with Mitch Griffiths. It'll be that'll be very interesting because the Wake Forest offense is very unique. In, a, in the world that we're in at this time. Uh, with the slow read process, and you notice I can't help myself, I get the quarterback ride and, the, and those things that go along with it. You, you, you have to defend. They do an outstanding job with RPOs and the read process of the offense. Uh, so that, the development of that offense will be, will be interesting to watch as we go down, as we go down the road. Uh, you know, whether we want to get deep into Clemson or not is, uh, is another story. Uh, the, the, the Tigers, and, and, I, and I'm going to say this, I love Dabo, and Dabo may get mad at me if he hears this, but that's okay. They did not look like a very well-coached team on Monday night. Now, the Blue Devils made them look that way, but when you have 433 yards of offense and you control the stats, you control the time of possession, et cetera, et cetera, you know what? You're supposed to win the game. But it's hard to win the game when you turn it over and you get kicks blocked and you can't score in the red zone. Scoring in the red zone is absolutely critical. You know, Coach Spurrier taught me a long time ago, taught a lot of us a long time ago, that you don't win championships kicking field goals in the red zone. You win championships scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And, and I was watching that game from the end zone where the scoreboard is at Wallace Wade. I like to watch them down on the field because I can see the spacing with the linemen and just get the feel of what's going on. The Clemson sideline felt flat. I mean, they were flatlined. I mean, there was very little emotion over there. They were not taking advantage because, look, great win by Duke, 28-7. to But if if I'm Clemson right now, I'm thinking – Man, it's not like I got beat by the best that Duke had to offer because Duke was trading. They were taking field goals instead of touchdowns. They were putting the ball, you know, in the hands of the Tigers. They had turnovers. I mean, they didn't play perfect either, but they were together. They had emotion. They had purpose. And to, to build on what you're saying, Jimmy, I just didn't think that the Clemson Tigers had that. Certainly not to the level that Florida State did. Okay. Let, 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 me, let me read. Let me let me read this off to you, Mike. First downs, Clemson twenty nine, Duke seventeen. Third down efficiency, pretty close. Clemson seven out of fifteen, Duke five out of fifteen. Uh, total yards, Clemson four twenty two, Duke three seventy four. Uh, rushing, uh, pretty even, two thirteen to one ninety nine. Duke had the one ninety nine. Uh, there were there were very few. Duke had seven penalties. Clemson had one penalty at that point, but each team lost two two inter, two fumbles, and and he, and Clemson threw an interception. Time of possession, Clemson, thirty three minutes and thirty three seconds to Duke's twenty six twenty seven. Now tell me how, tell me, tell me about why you should not win that game. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that wasn't that wasn't a Chamber of Commerce Duke performance. They got the result. But they're going to get better. You really red have zone offense, red yeah. zone offense. You have to score when you get the ball inside the 10 yard line. You cannot 
You cannot miss field goals. You can't get field goals blocked. You don't want to kick field goals. You got to score touchdowns. And you cannot turn it over in the red zone. Can't turn it over anywhere, but especially in the red zone. It was uh, not a pretty night for Clemson. And it doesn't get a lot easier. They've got, you know, two gimmies the next two weeks. Charleston Southern, the Buccaneers are not a good football team. That's the uh, the victim this week at 2.15, that marquee uh, kickoff time in Death Valley uh, this weekend. And the next weekend, Florida Atlantic, the Owls come in to be the sacrificial lamb in Death Valley. But then it's Florida State. And if you're Dabo Swinney, you're sitting there on September 23rd. If you come out of there with a loss, you got two losses. Not only are you not in the, in the running for the um, – playoff anymore you're not going to make it to charlotte with two losses i mean it's going to be really tough for clemson that has a pretty tough schedule as you get on they have to play north carolina they have to play duke they have to play nc state this is not going to be an easy season for Dabo swinney and he is under a lot of pressure right now because he didn't take anybody out of the portal he hasn't hired veteran assistant coaches to replace guys like tony elliott and brent venables and if you don't adapt to the changing landscape of college athletics, you're in trouble. And right now, Clemson doesn't have a breakout wide receiver. And they have a big question mark still at quarterback. Let me throw this out. 43 attempts, 27 completions, 4.9 yards per pass. How many balls did they throw vertically? Mm. Not Nobody very many balls thrown vertically in the in, in the game. So, vertical passing game, you know, is it is it is it quarterback? Is it the lack of big play receiver? I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't know enough about their personnel. But less than five yards, less than five yards of a throw. Uh, you know, that we'll 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 see. Their development will be interesting. Very interesting. Any other takeaways from week one of the college football season? You, you know, it was just it was just good to kick it off and and, and to see where we're headed. Uh, I think, and if you look nationally now, I think uh, I think one of the one of the most uh, appealing games and one of the best performances was probably by the Florida State Seminoles against the the the, the LSU Tigers. Uh, I was extremely impressed with what Florida State did in Orlando. Uh, on Sunday night. I thought they played very well. Uh, Jordan Travis is an excellent player. Uh, they did a good job in the transfer portal with an outstanding receiver. Uh, they're, they're extremely talented now, and they can rush the passer and they can make plays. So, so I, I think Florida State now, you, you, have to, you, have to, you have to put them up on your, uh, the top of your, of your leaderboard at this point in time, and I think they moved up to number four in the polls this time. Uh, the interesting one that's coming is to see how the Miami Hurricanes will be. Uh, and the Miami Hurricanes play Texas A&M this week, and that's, that will be an interesting matchup with, uh, to see where uh, Mario Cristobal and all the transfers that he's taken in the change of that roster and the Bobby Petrino offense with Jimbo Fisher. That'll, that'll be an interesting matchup this week. It'll be a lot of fun to watch, Coach. We'll have fun watching the games this uh, weekend. We'll see you back here next week on Wild Dogs and Hogs. Thanks, Mike. I've enjoyed it. It was great having Rod on. It's great being with you tonight. Take care. This has been Wild Dogs and Hogs for Coach Jimmy Collins. 
I'm Mike Waddell, and this is the North Carolina Sports Network.